tonight's the title of tonight's message will be the dreams and visions dreams and visions three dreams and visions of Daniel try to help you understand that uh, what that is all about amen <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. The king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king of Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof. You shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, I'm just going to run through a quick overview through the chapters through chapter 8. So I'll give you a real quick overview of those eight chapters, okay? Now, chapter 1, everybody say chapter 1 through chapter 2 and verse 3, okay? Chapter 1, chapter 1 through chapter 2 and verse 3. You can't see it in your English Bible, but that's written in Hebrew, okay? So again, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3 is written in Hebrew. And then at, at chapter 8, at the end of the book, chapter 8 through chapter 12, it is also written in Hebrew. So let me say that again. Chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 8 through chapter 12, written in Hebrew. Now why is that? Well, it is showing you the prophetic history of the nation of Israel. Beginning with chapter 2 and verse 4. Through chapter 7. That's all written in Aramaic. And that would have been the language of the Babylonian court at that time. And so God divides the book that way. So again, chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 7, written in Aramaic, it is the prophetic history of the Gentiles. Again, not just the history, but the prophetic history of the Gentiles. So in those divisions here, by the very language itself, God is showing you the history of Gentile world powers and the history of the nation of Israel as seen in the book of Daniel. In the first chapter, we have a biography, which I covered briefly with you last uh, Wednesday, about how the king had gone and ransacked Judah, taken captive some of the royal seed, and then changed their names to try to change their culture, and gave them food to eat, and obviously they turned that food down, amen, because it would... Uh, 
defiled them, and they did not want to be defiled by the king's meat. That's Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so the scripture tells us, if you look at, let's go over here in chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love of the prince of the eunuchs. Now why would Daniel do that over some 800 miles, five to 800 miles away from his homeland? Away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. In some people's mind, away from God. No, not in Daniel's mind or these three Hebrew children's mind. They understood that they stood in the audience of one. And that audience of one was God Himself. So that it didn't matter where they were. If they were in Jerusalem or if they were in Babylon, wherever they were, they knew that they were standing in the presence of God Almighty and they knew that God knew what they were doing. And so they wanted to honor God in everything that they did. So they refused to defile themselves with the king's meat, the king's table. And the scripture tells us the end result was that, that they were better than, and their countenance better than those who compromised, and they gave glory and honor to God. In chapter 2, after that brief biography, we move into the first, what we call dream in the book of Daniel. Now this as I said, falls into the category of Gentile history, prophetic history. So it is written in Aramaic beginning with verse 4. Now, as I read to you a portion of the Scripture in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile king, not, the, not a prophet from God, but a Gentile king, received a prophetic dream from God. That might sound unusual, that God would send a prophetic dream to a pagan idolater. But again, God is showing uh, in this a Gentile prophetic, Gentile history that is going to come. So he sends a dream to an idolatrous pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you have time, you can read it in Daniel chapter 2. You're probably familiar with it. But this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. He saw this Great big old statue, beautiful statue in his dream. Now, he calls the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the various magicians in the court that interpret dreams. And obviously, they would have their books that they would read to interpret dreams and try to discern what it meant. But that means that they would have to know what the dream was in order to get their books out and try to interpret what the dream was. But Nebuchadnezzar was too smart for that. He knew that if he gave them the dream, that they could just come up with just any interpretation. So if it was going to be something that was authentic and something that was real, then he required of them not only to give the interpretation of the dream, but he required of them to tell him the dream that he had, to sort of backplay, if you will, the dream that he had that night. So the Bible tells us, he declares that if they cannot do it, that they will be cut in pieces and their houses will be turned into dung. That means all of them are going to be killed. Okay, So all the magicians, the soothsayers, and so on and so forth, the Chaldeans, dreamers, 
interpretation of dreams and all of these things, if they cannot tell the king what the dream is and what the interpretation is, they're all dead. And that would include the three wise men, the four wise men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of Judah because they were a part of the court in wisdom. So that means that they would have also died as well. Now, the Scripture tells us the results is that they could not come up with the dream nor the interpretation of the dream and all of them were about to be killed. Then Daniel steps forward. Let's look in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and in the light dwelleth with Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O Thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of Thee. For Thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So Daniel comes on the scene and basically he tells the king, now don't get so quick. Don't be so hasty in killing everybody here. He says, I'm in touch and my friends are in touch with the God who is a revealing God. This God that can reveal, God can reveal what the dream was and God can give the interpretation of the dream. So don't be so quick in declaring that everybody is going to die. Now the Bible goes on and tells us as we look in verse 31, Daniel has the dream. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. It was awesome. So, <clears throat> here comes Daniel. He receives it by revelation after they spent some time in seeking God. And he tells the king, he says, well, this is the dream. And, this is, and God revealed it. This didn't come from us. It didn't come from our own wisdom didn't come from our own understanding. It came directly from God. God revealed it to us. So this is the dream. He said he saw this big image. It was great and it was terrible. It was awesome. And when you looked at it, it was beautiful. It would take your breath away. And so on he begins to go on from that. And he said this image head was of fine gold. His breast and his arms of silver. His belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron. His feet part of iron, part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, which stoned the image, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay and brake them in pieces. This was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof to the king. Okay, so anyway. So the dreams and the interpretations uh, of the dreams and visions in the book of Daniel will be covering tonight. But let me jump a little bit further. Chapter 3. After this image that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about, and then God reveals it to Daniel, then in chapter 3, the king Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image in the plains of Dura. Alright? And everybody is, is supposed to bow down 
and to worship that image in the plains of Dura. And the scripture tells us the decree is given in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we have a measurement here of six cubits. We have 60 cubits and six cubits. And then when you take time and you, you count how many musical instruments were used to summon the people to come and bow down to it, there were six. So this image has the mark of the beast symbolically laden in it. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar calls everybody in the kingdom to come and to bow down to that, that image of gold because that head of gold, as we will look at it in a little bit, that head of gold represented the Babylonian Empire. And so Nebuchadnezzar built this huge image of solid gold in the plains of Dura and he said everybody's to bow down and to worship that. That there's not going to be a destruction of this power. We're going to keep it going. It doesn't matter what God says. We're going to keep it going. And so you bow down and worship it. Well, the Bible tells us that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to bow down to that image. And the Scripture tells us the results of that, they were cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And because of their faithfulness to God, the Bible says a fourth man walked in the fire with them and they were not destroyed. And they came out of the fire. In this chapter, is a test of faith. It's a test of faith. This test of faith has to do with some people who refuse to sin against God. They refuse to sin against God. And so they're taken and they're cast into this burning fiery furnace because they refuse to sin against God. Now in chapter 6, you'll see another test of faith. And that's when Daniel continued to pray and seek God, even though there was a decree that was made that nobody could pray, nobody could petition any God, they could only petition uh, the king himself. Okay? And Daniel... He's cast into a den of lions, not because he's not wanting to sin, but because he refuses to not do an appointment from God. So on the one hand, in chapter 3, you have people refusing to sin against God and it costing them, their faithfulness costing them, even possibly their life because they refuse to sin against God. Daniel, on the other hand, is not that he's trying to refuse to sin against God. He refused not to fulfill a divine appointment from God. Daniel said, I am going to do what God has called me to do in service, even if it means my life. So either on, on one hand, uh, refusing to sin against God, it costs you something. Sometimes when you choose to do what God's told you to do, it's also going to cost you something. So there's test of faith in these chapters. Now after chapter 3, which we talked a little bit about last Wednesday, chapter 4, we see uh, a vision that comes and there's a tree. This tree is cut down and there is a stump that's left in the ground and there's a brass ring that's tied around the top of that stump. Now the Bible goes on and explains what that tree represents. That represents Nebuchadnezzar. And he was removed from his kingdom for seven years, the top of the seven-year tribulation period. He's removed from his kingdom. 
and so on and so forth. And then he's restored back to his kingdom when he lifts up his eyes to heaven. So what you see in chapter 4 is you see the judgment of God upon Gentile world powers. Okay. Then in chapter 5, you also see the same thing. The judgment of God against Gentile world powers. When there's a big party that's thrown up, a throne in Babylon, and then a handwriting on the wall that comes from God. Many, many, tikel yufarsin. Okay? You are weighed in the balance and found wanting. As God is writing His judgment upon that wall of those people who had defiled the holy vessels of God, and that very night Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. And so in the fifth chapter, just like the fourth chapter, what you have there is judge, the judgment of God upon Gentile world powers. And then as I said in chapter 6, then when you have time you can read about it, how Daniel decided in his heart that he would continue to pray and seek his God even at the penalty of death. Amen. Very faithful to God. Then chapter 7 you get into on the other end of Gentile prophetic history in the scripture of Daniel, get into Daniel chapter 7, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Alright? So that sort of gives you an overview. Now go back to chapter 2. And in this section then we are dealing with the prophetic history of Gentile powers. And we have the interpretation beginning with verse 37 of chapter 2. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Okay, so here we go. Daniel is showed this image, the same image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and now God gives Daniel the interpretation. And he says that this head that he saw, this head of gold, is the Babylonian Empire. So we know exactly what it is. We don't have to figure out the puzzle. We don't have to put the puzzle together. God has already told us what this head represents on this big image. It is the Babylonian Empire. And then he continues and he tells us something very interesting. He says, uh, verse 39... And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And then he says, Another kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. And a fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh its pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided but there shall be in it of the strength of iron for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. Alright, so what we have here is what is God doing? Does He want you to focus on this image? No. Remember I talked to you about it last Wednesday. When God shows you, shows you symbolic languages or visions, it's not for you to sit around and try to figure out you know, what they mean. Now God tells us what this means. At least the head of gold. But the point is, what God is saying is this. There's going to be four kingdoms, and they are successive kingdoms. You're going to have the Babylonian kingdom, and then following that world power of Babylon, you're going to have another kingdom, and it's successive. 
And then you're going to have a third kingdom that will follow the second kingdom. And then you'll have a fourth kingdom that follows the third kingdom. You with me? And that fourth kingdom will have a final form of toes that has iron and clay in it. And at that time, the fourth kingdom, the final form of the fourth kingdom, that's when the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of God is going to be set up. Okay? So what God is saying is this. He's saying there's going to be successive Gentile world powers that are going to come in history. Okay? The first one is Babylon, the head of gold. Now that's a pure metal. Then he talks about another a kingdom that will succeed that Babylonian kingdom in the chest and arms of silver. Alright, you with me here? Now we'll come back and look at that, but this is the Medo-Persian Empire because after the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire followed the Babylonian Empire in succession. The Medo-Persian Empire. Alright? Now what is interesting when you get to this bronze empire, the third kingdom, it's not a pure metal like gold or silver. It's an alloy of tin and copper. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means. Okay? But it's interesting that you're moving from pure metals from gold and silver into an alloy of copper and tin. Now that third kingdom then is this brass kingdom. And that, of course, represents the Greek empire in succession. So the Greek empire conquered the Medo-Persian empire, the third kingdom. Now the fourth kingdom that will rise in the, in the, from that perspective is future, is an iron kingdom, an eastern and western division, two legs of iron. The Roman empire conquered the Greek empire. Okay? Now where we are right now in history is we are awaiting this final form of this Roman Empire, or really the final form of the Babylonian Empire, to come into existence, where there will be ten horns, or I say ten horns, we'll get to that in Daniel 7, ten toes which will come, and from those ten toes, Daniel 7, ten horns, an Antichrist will rise to power. After these, this final form of this ten Toe form of the final form of the Roman Empire slash Babylonian Empire, that's when the Lord is going to come back and smite the image at its feet and set up His kingdom. Now that's the focus. The focus is apocalyptic writing. Now where is God right now? Well, the thing is what these people have gone through is captivity. They are in captivity. They are in Babylonian captivity. They have experienced a theological shock that's what theologians call it. A theological shock. The people of God. Because God had has promised them promises. Uh, this is God's people. Okay? And God had promised them promises about their land, about their king. Amen? Uh, and so on and so forth. And here they've been taken off into captivity. They don't have a land anymore. The king on the throne of Israel is no more. And does, so does God care about the people of God anymore? Where is God in the captivity? Does God care about us anymore? What's the, what does the future hold? Is God through with us? I mean, so you can kind of understand what they might have been feeling like 
all these promises that were given to them by the prophets. And now all of that's gone. And they've been captured. And so does God still care about us? Is He done with us? Is He through with us? What about the promises to come of a king that was set upon the throne of David? What about all of that? And so as the people of God are sitting there in Babylonian captivity, they are experiencing a literally a theological shock. They don't know where they stand with God. They don't know if God is with them, if God's going to do anything with them anymore, if there's going to be a hope for them in the future at all, or if it's all over for them. They don't know where they are in God. And so what God is doing is not trying to get you to look at the head of gold, the chest of arms of silver, and this abdomen of thighs of brass and the legs of iron, the ten toes of iron and clay. That's not what God is trying to get you to see in the book of Daniel. He's not trying to get you to sit down and figure all that out. Okay, it's okay if you do, but that's not the point. The message is, for the people of God who are experiencing theological shock at that time, you can imagine, God is saying, I'm not done yet. I'm still in control. I'm in control of the rise and the fall of all kingdoms that will come upon this earth. And after a succession of four kingdoms that will come on this earth, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to restore everything that was lost to the people of God. Everything. The kingdom will be restored. The king will be restored. The land will be restored. And it will be a glorious event. No suffering. No pain. No agony. But a kingdom of glory and power. And so Israel, even though right now you're captured and you are literally going through a shock because you cannot imagine that you would be brought into captivity being the people of God. How could that possibly happen? And what is God going to do about all of this? And then God comes along with a apocalyptic writing of visions and symbols and shows you that He's not done, that there's still a hope. The king is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom and Israel is going to be brought into the kingdom of the living God. And so it is to inspire hope to the people of God. It is to encourage them to repent of sin. It is to encourage them to understand that God is going to keep His promises, that He is faithful. And even though you might go through a time of suffering, a time of pain, a time of tribulation, a time of shock, be faithful to God through all of it. You might be cast into the fire like the three Hebrew children, but there's going to be a new exodus that's going to come. And the people are going to come out of this fire and they're going to be restored back to their land. And God's going to sit upon the throne. And if you're faithful to Him, you'll get to be a part of His kingdom. So don't, don't give up in the time of temporary crisis because it's only temporary. God's kingdom is going to come and it's a righteous kingdom and it's going to be an eternal kingdom and those who are faithful are going to be brought into that kingdom. So again, God is just simply showing you the history of Gentile world powers to let you know Israel and to let the church know that He is in, in charge of the rise and fall of all powers. He's in control of everything. And eventually... When we get through all of these Gentile world powers, God says, I'm going to set up my kingdom and I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign forever and ever and ever. So be encouraged 
He's trying to encourage the people of God to look forward to that new exodus that will come and a new glorious kingdom that will arise. So let's keep reading here. The focus then has to be the message, not the symbol. Are y'all awake now? Okay. So we have these successive kingdoms, four kingdoms. Uh, and then verse 40. The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, subdueth all things. And iron, as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in, here it is. Here's the key. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's the message of the dream. That's the focus. As I told you last week, when you start looking at these things, don't get so caught up in trying to interpret the vision understand what what is God saying? What's what's the punchline, so to speak? What's the point in God saying all of that? And here it is right here. This is the message that God wants you to get. And that is that God is going to destroy these kingdoms and He's going to set up a kingdom. Amen? Which shall never be destroyed. Verse 44, And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. It's eternal. It's not going to be a temporary kingdom. Once these successive Gentile powers come and then they are destroyed in that final form and God sets up His kingdom, it's going to be eternal. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. Okay? So God is not through with you, Israel. He's not done. There's still hope. You still have a future. God knows where you are. God's in control of everything that's happened. So just be faithful where you are. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Be faithful like them. And understand that people that are dedicated to God and are faithful to God, even in times of opposition, in times of great difficulty, those people will make a huge impact in their day. Just like these faithful were. And so God is calling us to be faithful in very difficult times and make a difference in this hour. Instead of being caught up and submerged into these kingdoms of men, in the Babylonian, the, the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron and the iron and clay, getting caught up in the kingdoms of men and being focused upon the secular history of mankind. God is saying you need to understand that being faithful to God is more important than secular kingdoms of men. Being faithful to God is the most important thing. Don't get caught up. Especially in the last days, Jesus said this. When He comes back, He said this is going to be a sign. He said they're going to be Eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage. Do you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with eating? And there's nothing wrong with drinking? And there's nothing wrong with marriage? 
You know what God is saying there? He's saying in the last days, things that are legitimate, people are going to be so caught up in legitimate things that they forget the kingdom of God. They're going to be so focused on their work. They're going to be so focused on their family. They're going to be so focused on secular things and commercial things and the things of this world that they're not going to have time for God anymore. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me before I came in this pulpit tonight and He told me to directly declare that to you. Do not get caught up in the secularism or the commercialism or the kingdoms of this world. Don't get caught up in this world where you're so occupied and preoccupied by it that you lose your walk with God even for legitimate things. This nation, the Holy Ghost said to me, is moving very quickly to what Europe is today. Europe today is a secular power. It has basically left God out of the picture, doesn't have time for God. It is not a Christian nation. And the United States of America, its people are very quickly beginning to forget God. They're starting to live their life as if God doesn't matter, if God doesn't exist. They're focusing only on the secular and the commercial and what they want to do. And the judgment of the living God is going to come upon people like that. He said they're going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Doing legitimate things. And then he said, the end is going to come. Your greatest challenge today is not really somebody coming and knocking on your door and taking you to jail for your faith. Your greatest challenge in this hour is to not be so caught up in the mundane that you forget the holy. And you know I'm telling you the truth. That we are in a time when everybody's so focused on, now, well, I'm going to get married, and I, who I'm going to get married to. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with getting married. But if that's all you focus on, and you forget serving God. We're living in a day where people are so focused on making a living, so, so focused about how many hours they're going to put in on the clock. You know, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, brothers and sisters, and I say this to you in love, that you and I have to be very careful that we are not swept up into these Gentile world power systems and be, as Nebuchadnezzar was, enamored by them. Excited about them. When John in the book of Revelation, when he saw that harlot riding on the back of the scarlet colored beast, the Bible says he wondered with great admiration. And the angel had to come and shake him, John. Why did you wonder? I'll show you the mystery of the woman that rides upon the scarlet colored beast. When John saw the power and the wealth of that system of the world, that woman system of the world, the Bible says he got caught up in admiration. And the prophet, and, and so God had to shake that prophet. Say, why did you wonder? He said, I'll show you the mystery of that woman. That woman is drunken with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. What you're caught up in admiration what you get caught up and excited about. 
the kingdoms of men, the brilliance of the statue. From your perspective, it's beautiful, it's glorious, and it's powerful, and it's empires, and it's kingdom, and it's strong. But when God sees it, He doesn't see it as a beautiful image statue. He sees it as animals. So that God is waking you up and waking the people of Israel up to let them know when you get caught up in the secular movements of men, you get excited about the powers of the President of the United States or the power of the President of this country. You, you walk into their palaces and you're blown away. Wow! God says, no. You have a message you have to declare to them. And that is, your kingdom will come down. And the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will be established forever and ever and ever. So don't get caught up in the kingdoms of men. Don't get caught up in that harlot system called Mystery Babylon in the future. Because God's going to judge all that. He's going to destroy all of that. And He's going to set up His kingdom. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And I want to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, you're in a time where familiarity will breed contempt. Some of you have been in this so long, you're so familiar with it, it's now, now become contempt. And the reason is, is because you have become too busy with your things. We used to not be that way. When you remember when you first got in the church, how man, it was all about God. It was all about Jesus. You would stand up and you would testify and you would cry and you would weep and you would talk about what the Lord is doing for you and you were so thankful and you were on fire. You're walking with Him, but now time has elapsed and familiarity breeds contempt. What you used to love, the things of God, you don't love them anymore. Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound in the last days, the love of many shall grow cold. We have to make sure that we stir up the fires for the love of and love God and be faithful, even though it might cost you something to say no to sin. It might cost you being thrown into a fire to say no to sin. It might cost you being cast into a den of lies to say, I will do what God has called me to do. I will be faithful to that. Even if it means I want to be cast into a den of lions. We have to understand. This was not what got Daniel's attention. What got Daniel's attention, he saw this stone cut out of the mountain without hands. He saw after the successive powers of these four kingdoms and that final form of ten toes that the God of glory would come and set up a kingdom which would never pass away. And that was the point. Don't get caught up in that. Be a part of this. And when He comes and He smites that image at the feet... It's going to destroy it and the wind is going to carry it all away. And His kingdom, which may start as a little stone, the stone which the builders rejected, it may start as a little stone, but it's going to grow and fill the whole earth. Hallelujah. So God, listen, and it's this way in Daniel's day, 
It's in every age as God moves through the epics of history, the ages of history, which is apocalyptic pro, uh, provision from God and prophecy from God to show you that He's in charge of history as He moves. The whole point is this. Is what kingdom are you preparing? What kingdom are you living for? And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, in the last days, there's a dividing line. And it's taking place in the spirit world. You're either going to be caught up in this, or you're going to be caught up in this. Don't let the enemy, don't let the spirit world, the dark world, put you to sleep. Don't become drunken by the wine of that harlot. Don't become intoxicated by her drink, which causes you to be in a stupor so that you cannot see your condition. Make sure that you stay full of the new wine, the Holy Ghost, that you walk with God, that you hear the Word of God and understand what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to focus on the wrong kingdom. Say praise the Lord. You say, well, well Pastor, I've got to support my family. I understand that. I do. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking or marrying. But if that's all you live for, Jesus has warned us that's the very thing that's going to catch people by surprise. They won't be ready because they have forgotten God. That's right. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to serve God. I don't want to just have a head knowledge. I don't want to just know the mysteries of the Bible. I want to apply them to my life. I want to, when I study and I read them, I want to bring practical application to my life. And the Holy Ghost said to me today, practically speaking, He says, in the last days there will be eating and drinking and marriage and giving marriage. And then the end will come. My people be so caught up and the mundane things of the world that they don't have time for the things of the Spirit anymore. Okay, I'm not your God. You don't have to listen to anything I'm saying. But you do have to listen to God. Because someday every one of you are going to stand before God Almighty and everything that you have ever heard from this pulpit, every word that you have ever heard preached, when you stand before God on that day, whether you like the man that's delivering it or not, Someday you're going to stand, you're going to have to give an account for the Word of God that you've heard preached. And not only what you heard, but what did you do with it? To whom much is given, much is required. And the more that God has done for you, the more is required of you. And if you go away from God in this hour, because God has done so much for some of you. Depending on how much God has done for you and the revelation that you have, the light that you have will determine how many stripes you'll receive. God help me and help you to take the Word of God and to live it and to apply it in this hour when the church is going to sleep. It's going to sleep. It's too busy. It doesn't know its own condition. And when you show its condition, you don't, they don't believe it. 
God is saying, live for that kingdom right there. It might be hard right now. It might, there might be pressure right now. It might be difficult right now. But that's only temporary. You may suffer right now, but there's a kingdom coming. And in that kingdom, you won't suffer. It'll be a kingdom of power and glory. It does cost, I hate to tell you, and I do really hate to tell you, but it's the Word of God, that it does cost to say no to sin. It will cost you to say yes to the requirements of God in service. The test will come too. God's not going to keep you away from the test. The test will come. And so right after this image is declared in chapter 2, and this glorious kingdom of God that's going to come, right after that, what would you expect to see? Chapter 3. Man's kingdom glorified, set in, up in the plains of Dura. What kingdom will you bow to? Will you bow to the kingdom of the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar's power? Or will you be faithful in your worship to God? And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of confusion, will come to you and says, Abandon the true worship of the true and living God. Abandon Him. Abandon your worship. Abandon your service. But there's some like Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra says, We will not abandon the true worship of the living God. We will serve Him even if it means you cast us into the fire. But we will never abandon our worship. But the test was there. The test came after that dream was declared. And many in the nation of Israel got up and embraced and bowed their knees to that image. And those three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, refused to abandon God, refused to abandon the worship of the true God, and they got thrown into the fire. God didn't keep them out of the fire. They got thrown into the fire. It cost them. But God was with them in the fire and He brought them out. And there was a major exodus that took place. So there may come trial, there may come tribulation, there may come fire, but that's alright. God's going to bring us out. And I'm living, I'm living that. I'm living for that kingdom. I haven't always been perfect. I can tell you that for sure. But I know one thing, I'm living for that kingdom. I know that for sure. I'm living for that kingdom. Hallelujah. Today, you're being presented with something. Every one of you here today. Well, I'm, I'm saved, Pastor. I don't have to worry about what you're saying. These people were in covenant. And they were still tested. I want to tell you what's going to happen. Is where you and I, where we lay our riches. Where we put our spiritual value. How we live our lives right now. Right now. Will determine the manifestation that's coming. If you and I are faithful to God and we're living for that kingdom right now, 
God knows the inside of our hearts. He's weighing my heart. He's weighing my motives. He's weighing my life. Manifestation time might not be right now. But everything, every decision that you make, the choices that you make, your faithfulness to God, everything that you put in your walk with God, someday is going to be important because there's going to be a manifestation day. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom, when you talk about the kingdom, the glory of God has to do with manifestation time. You're in the church age right now. When you talk about the glory of God or the kingdom of God, that's manifestation time. And what God is saying is there's going to be a manifestation time. There are people who are bowing to this image and embracing this image. But there are those who are living faithful like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Faithful to God. And when it's time for manifestation, the way they lived is going to be seen. You will not be able to play the game. Because what we are is going to be seen. It's going to come out in the end. We either for real or we're not for real. And we may act for a while, but manifestation time is coming. And I believe I'm preaching to some real people here today. And I thank God for you. But I'm telling you, you better make sure. Because all the phony stuff's going to come out. What you're really living for is going to come out. What I'm really living for is really going to come out. Is it for the kingdom of God? Or is it for the kingdoms of men? So we'll set that image up, Nebuchadnezzar does, to see, to test the faith. And God allowed it to happen. To test the faith of His people. Manifestation time. What they said with their words, with their mouth, was it real? Amen. And for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, our God is able and He will deliver us from you. But if not, we will not bow. And they took Him. They took them. It says, if not, God, if God doesn't deliver me, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm not going to abandon my worship of God. Hallelujah. And they took Him. Threw them in there, but there was an exodus that came out of it. Why? Because the decisions and choices that they had made, when it came time for kingdom time, manifestation time, they walked right out of the fire. They came through the fire on the other side. And that's what God is showing you today in the midst of all this. Because this is not just about the days of Daniel. This reaches all the way through your day, all the way to the second coming of Jesus to this earth. This message is not just to those people then. This message is to you in this house tonight and to me. Chapter 4. After he set up that big image, 666. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's judged. The seven-year tribulation period will come. Seven years of insanity. You know what the world, if you want to know what the picture of the world is going to be in that seven-year tribulation period, the people that are caught up in the kingdoms of Antichrist and the kingdoms of this world, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be total insanity. 
Nebuchadnezzar for seven years behaved himself like an animal until seven times passed over him until he lifted up his eyes finally and he got delivered from his pride and his arrogance and he finally lifted up his eyes to heaven and declared that the God of heaven rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. The insanity. We already are beginning to move into those days. People are losing their minds. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. You know why? Because it's manifestation time. What kingdom they were living for is coming out. Everybody understand this? In the fifth chapter of the Bible tells us while the Medes and the Persians were gathered around the city, they were partying. Having a big old party. And God shocks the party. Handwriting over a wall, on a wall, plaster wall, hand comes the hand of God. Many, many to kill you for being interpreted. You're weighed in the balance and you're found wanting. Everything you live for, your motives, your choices, your life. It's all been weighed in the balance. And God said you came up short. I don't want to come up short. I don't want to be a part of that kingdom that comes up short. And Babylon was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. And then guess what we have again as I said earlier. Daniel, a test of faith. A new kingdom has come. Daniel goes out of that old kingdom of Babylon into a new kingdom. He, if you will, he rides into that new kingdom. Will he still be the same man? Yes. In a new kingdom? New king. We're going to test the loyalty of our subjects. Just like we tested them. Babylonian power tested them in Daniel chapter 3. Now, in Daniel chapter 6... We have a new kingdom also going to test the loyalty of the subjects of God. Will He be faithful to His call in service? And so the decree goes forth. You can't pray to a God. Can you imagine? I believe it was for a month. You couldn't pray to a God. Can you imagine what it would be like if you couldn't talk to God for a month? If there was no prayer lifted up to God, there'd be no miracles. There'd be no healing. If you can't call on the name of the Lord, there's nobody getting saved. Nobody being water baptized in Jesus' name because nobody's calling on the name of the Lord. It's, it's illegal to do that. And the Bible says Daniel, just like he had done at other times, it made no difference for him because he had already made a choice. I'm going to be faithful to my service to God. And the Bible says he opened up his windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed just like he had done at other times because that's where the temple was located and that's where the name of God is located and he had told them in the kings that if they take, be taken captive all they got to do is look toward that place where the name of God is and pray and God would heal their, hear their prayer even in a foreign land. Daniel throws his windows open as at other times and prayed. It was made known to the king. Even the king was hoping that 
Daniel's God would deliver him. Throw him into that, not a, not a lion's den, not a lion's den, but a den of lions. There were lions in that den. Threw him in there. What happened to Daniel? God sent His angel and shut the mouth of the lion. God's able to shut the mouth of the devil. The devil wants to devour us. And God, if you'll be faithful to God, it doesn't mean, you know, that you won't get thrown into the den of lions, but I guarantee you one thing, when the lion gets ready to devour you, Satan gets ready to devour you, God's able to shut His mouth. The Bible says because of Daniel's faithfulness, God sent His angels and shut the mouth of that lion. And the Scripture says the king went. And he could hear His voice. The God whom you serve, was He able, you to deliver, able to deliver you out of the mouth of the lions? And the king found that God was faithful to a faithful man. Took Daniel out through all those men. that had lied on him, lied against him, threw them in there. And the Bible says the lions devoured them. Before they even hit the ground, torn to pieces. You be faithful to God. I said, you be faithful to God. Most important thing that you'll ever do is to be faithful to God. Because there may be people that arise up against you and all kinds of things and can connive and make plans if you're faithful to God, I promise you, God's able to shut the mouth of the lion. He's able to preserve you. He's able to keep you in that time. Amen. God's enemies are devoured, destroyed. Which brings us to the second dream. In Daniel chapter 7. The Bible says this time the dream doesn't come to a, a Babylonian idolater. It comes to a prophet of God. And while Daniel is asleep, or the night visions, he has this vision of these four kingdoms that will arise. They are the same kingdoms as the beginning of the Aramaic section or the Gentile world power history of Daniel chapter 2. That's my opinion. That doesn't mean that there's not possibility of greater expansion, of double fulfillment in the Word of God. I do believe that's possible. But I believe that they are parallel with what was seen in Daniel chapter 2. The only difference now is that it's a prophet, a Hebrew prophet that sees it. And he looks out and he sees the Mediterranean Sea. He sees in that sea, he sees this, a storm come. He, he has a nightmare. He sees in, as the waves are tossing to and fro. The waters, of course, according to the book of Revelation, represent peoples and nations. He sees these beasts, very strange animals coming up out of the restless sea of humanity. Out of the restless uneasy, 
always shifting and moving here and there. Wondering hearts. He sees from the midst of that chaos and that confusion. He sees these four animals rise up. And in verse 15 of Daniel chapter 7, it says, it troubled him. It was a nightmare to him. What was beautiful to the sight of men in Daniel chapter 2, God says, I'm going to show you the true nature of Gentile world powers. Four again. That will, all, will proceed again. The coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. And so, God begins to show Daniel. Daniel sees, he sees this lion with two wings come up out of the sea. As he looks, he sees that lion come out of the sea with two wings. He all of a sudden notices something very unusual. He said, I saw that lion stand up on his two feet and a heart was given to it. The heart of a man. That lion kingdom, if you take time and you study even the kingdoms, and again, the focus is not trying to break down. It's fun to do all that. You take time, the symbol of Babylon was a lion and an eagle. And so we have the lion with the eagle's wings on its back. This is the same as the head of gold. But God is saying this is the true nature of that kingdom. It's a, it's a beast. But just as in the fourth chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, who was given the heart of an animal, and lost his mind because he refused to honor God. When he lifted up his eyes to heaven and declared that, that God, the one true God, rules in the kingdoms of men, the Most High God, the God not only of Israel alone, but the God of all nations, rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever He will. That's when Nebuchadnezzar was given the heart of a man and restored back to his kingdom. After Daniel sees that lion with the eagle's wings on his back, he then sees a bear in succession. This bear will defeat the Babylonian power, which is the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll, we'll see that in Daniel chapter 8. The third dream we'll talk about tonight actually calls this second kingdom the Medo-Persian Empire. And the third kingdom is in Daniel chapter 8. It's called the He-Goat. It's called literally by name the Greek Empire. As Daniel sees following this lion kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, he sees this bear lifted up on one side. So the Medes and the Persians, one of the two would be stronger than the other, lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth showing you the kingdoms that the Medo-Persian power empire conquered on its way to dominion. Daniel 8 calls him a ram. A, a ram by the canal. We'll get to that in a moment. 
following this, this large, cumbersome Medo-Persian empire, when the Medes and the Persians would go to battle, they were large in number. They weren't swift and quick like the Greeks but they would amass an army of literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of soldiers on the battlefield, and they would lumber like a bear into the battlefield and conquer its enemy. Babylon fell in Daniel chapter 5, as I've already told you, to this Medo-Persian power, Darius or Cyrus is the ruler. Following the Medo-Persian Empire, Daniel keeps looking. He sees, he sees a leper. An empire that follows, the third empire that follows quickly on the heels of this second empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. He sees a leopard. It's swift. It's quick. That's the way Alexander, when he conquered, he he didn't maybe necessarily amass the large armies like the bear, the Middle Persian Empire, but when he moved, he moved swiftly. And by the time he reached his early 30s, he had conquered the then known world. And history says he sat down one day and he wept because there was no more to conquer. That's how swift he conquered by the age of 33. Only to die drunken, a drunken death. When he died, this very swift leopard called Alexander the Great, as this the Bible talks about, this leopard had four heads. And the Greek Empire, after the death of Alexander the Great, literally he divided, he gave his kingdom to his four top generals. And those generals took that kingdom and ruled over different parts of that kingdom. The four-headed leopard represents his four generals. In the 8th chapter, Daniel sees it, sees uh, Greece as a, a he-goat that's moving so fast like this leopard in speed that it doesn't even touch the ground. It's moving so swiftly. But then as Daniel continues to look, he sees the fourth kingdom which parallels the legs of iron. The Roman Empire. And he says when he saw that fourth beast, he said, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. It was undescribable. It was a nondescript beast. You couldn't you couldn't call it by anything you had ever seen before. <coughs> he says that he looked at that beast. It had iron teeth. It had iron nails on its feet. He said, I looked up and he said, everywhere that, that beast walked, it conquered, it crushed crushed. When it marched, it crushed. Just like the Roman soldiers, when they would march, they would literally crush their enemy. 
He said, as I noticed, Daniel says, as I noticed, he said, I noticed there were ten horns that came up on that beast. And he said, are those ten horns? He said, I saw from among those ten horns. The book of Revelation tells us in Revelation in chapter 13 and chapter 17 tells us those ten horns represent ten kings that shall arise. They parallel the ten toes of Daniel chapter 2. Ten kings shall arise. And then all of a sudden, Daniel, as he looked at that head and these ten horns, he said, I saw another little horn rise up in the midst of the ten. And he said, but it was different from the other ten. He said, I looked at it and it had eyes and it had a mouth to speak. Later we will, we will find out that that little horn right there represents a coming world leader known as the Antichrist. Then what does God do in that seventh chapter? <clears throat> Once again, He shows the succession of four world powers that will come. He shows in that last, that fourth kingdom, that final fourth Form of that fourth kingdom, these ten horns, that Antichrist rising up, that little horn, and these ten toes. He tells us there's coming a time on the world like the world has never seen. There'll be tribulation and there'll be persecution upon the believers like the world has never seen. And Daniel sees the brethren suffering. He sees the persecution of the saints, the church of the living God. And as he sees that, he sees this time to come, he is encouraged because the Bible tells us that the Lord comes and destroys this kingdom and sets up once again, just like in Daniel chapter 2, sets up a glorious kingdom which will never end, a kingdom of righteousness. And when He does, the Bible says, fire will issue out of His throne. And the faithful, the faithful servants of God will be gathered there. And as He receives His kingdom, as He sets up His kingdom, He brings the faithful into that kingdom with Him. Once again, to encourage the people of God, it's only temporary. The persecution that's going to come is only temporary. Be faithful to the end because God is going to set up a kingdom of power and glory and there will be no suffering there. Live for that kingdom, He says. Be faithful in the time of persecution, He says. When the troublesome times comes, and He said, it's coming. It's coming against the church. When it does, remember it's only temporary. As bad as it will be, it's only temporary because God is going to set up His kingdom. Of glory and power, eternal and righteous. So be faithful to the end. Daniel 7 and verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body. 
The visions of my head troubled me. He had a nightmare. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts which are four. Again, four. Four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld the same horn, was, same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. He prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and others shall rise after them. He shall be diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. They shall be given into His hand until a time and times and a dividing time. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But the judgment shall sit. and They shall take away His dominion to consume and to destroy it until the end. And the kingdoms and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth, heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey Him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations which trouble me, much trouble me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Again, the focus, the message is, the Lord is going to come back and He's going to set up His kingdom to be faithful. The third dream in the book of Daniel. The 8th chapter now moves you into Hebrew history once again. As the first chapter through chapter 2 and verse 3 is written in Hebrew, now we come to the 8th chapter. And the 8th chapter through chapter 12 is written in Hebrew to let you know the focus is upon Jewish history. The Bible says in the 8th chapter, Daniel, the third year of Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto him, even unto Daniel, after that which he appeared unto me at the first. He looks and he sees this vision. He sees this ram standing by a canal. This rambunctious ram. The Bible tells us, verse 3, Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, behold, there stood before the river, a ram which had two horns, and two horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. Just like I told you before, that bear lifted up on one side, its shoulder higher than the other. Same thing with the ram. One horn higher than the other. It's the same kingdom. 
is the second kingdom that wasn't identified before, but now it is in the third dream. I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. The two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And that's the movement of the Medo-Persian Empire. Medes and the Persians, Cyrus, etc. World domination. And Daniel kept looking and he saw this, this he-goat. This he-goat was a unicorn. This goat had one horn sticking out from between its eyes. He said he saw this goat. It come from the west. It moved on the face of the whole earth and touched off the ground. It was moving so fast, it, wouldn't, it didn't even touch the ground. It was moving so fast. Had that notable horn between his eyes. Oh, we see another horn. That horn between the eyes of that goat that will they'll come and smite that ram and cause that ram to be defeated. That horn was none other than Alexander the Great. He comes, he smites that ram, that Medo-Persian Empire history, defeats it, came to, to, to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram and was moved with collar against him and smote the ram and break his two horns. There was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Just like I told you, that leopard in Daniel chapter 7 had four horns. That horn, Alexander the Great, dies and it says four horns come up in its place. For your understanding, the most important of the four is the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. The southern kingdom, which included Egypt, the Ptolemies, the rulers, the Greek rulers of Egypt, and the Seleucids, the Greek rulers of Syria, or Babylon. Daniel chapter 11 will focus on those two of the four as to be the most important. These four horns after Alexander the Great, if that horn's broken off, they come up. And then, the prophet says, I saw another little horn. And he said, that little horn came up from one of the four horns of that goat. This time, it's on the third kingdom this little horn appears. 
In Daniel 7, the little horn appears in the fourth king. He said that little horn comes up from the four. And as we study the Scripture, you'll find out that is Antiochus Epiphanes, a Greek Syrian ruler that is a type of the king of the north to come. Possibly also a type of the Antichrist. But remember, Antichrist is coming out of the fourth kingdom. This little horn's coming out of the third kingdom of Greece. We'll come back around and talk about that. But what is God doing? He's letting His people know you're going to survive the Babylonian captivity. You're going to be restored back home under the Medo-Persian Empire. You're going to return back to your land and rebuild. You're Cyrus the Great. But following that kingdom of the Medo-Persians, one would come in the future almost 400 years after Daniel has died. And he'll, he'll cause persecution to break out on the land of Israel like they had never seen before. And that ruler would come. A Greek ruler would come. And we know he would come out of Syria. Antiochus Epiphanes. Or Babylon today. Verse 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great when he was strong. The great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. That'd be Israel. It waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it, <clears throat> and it cast down some of the hosts of the stars to the ground, stamped upon them. That's the persecution of the saints. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So we know that was fulfilled by that Syrian Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. He claimed to be God. The Jews call him Epitomes, which means a madman. And you know the story, and I'm not going to re-preach it to you. You know the story how Antiochus Epiphanes, that Greek Syrian ruler, went into the land of Israel, desecrated the temple. set up an image of himself in the most holy place. That picture today, oftentimes that you see, is supposed to be the picture of the face of Jesus Christ. You study the history of that face that you'll see oftentimes is supposed to be the face of Jesus Christ. It's none other than the face of Antiochus Epiphanes. type of the desolator to come. He's coming out of the northern part of the Greek Empire, Babylonian Syrian location of the Greek Empire. I believe he's a picture of the last day king of the north. 
Some take him to be the Antichrist. I believe you've got two players. You've got the Antichrist rising in Daniel chapter 7 out of the Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom. You've got this horn rising out of the third empire of Greece. And he, he controlled what is now Babylon. So most likely you have two different people in the last days. You've got a Babylonian ruler that's fierce like Antiochus Epiphanes that will bring havoc upon the people of God in Israel. And then you have the Antichrist, the Roman Antichrist that will rise out of Rome. The fourth kingdom. What God is showing His people is that when they get through that Medo-Persian period and they're restored back to their land, God is saying, it's not over yet. Your persecution's not finished. This little horn's coming. And He's going to persecute you. Desolation, abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 40, uh, 24. The abomination that maketh desolate standing in the holy place. And that reference seems to be about the Antichrist of the fourth kingdom. But it, it gets a little complicated. But there are desolators that are coming in the future. That will come and go and sit in the temple and make themselves to be God. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes did. Horrible persecution will come upon the people of God. If you want to know the interpretation, verse 17 says, when it's going to happen is the time of the end. I personally do not believe that all of this, this chapter right here was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. I believe Antiochus Epiphanes is only, that little horn here is only a type of that which is to come in the future. The Bible says in verse 17, it is at the time of the end or the end times. So there is much of this chapter that is yet to be fulfilled by a future king of the north. Or slash Antichrist. Verse 20, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of the Medo-Persians. There it is. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. Daniel saw that persecution, he fainted. It was so horrific. And all of these dreams and visions of the book of Daniel, whether it be Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, God is saying this is the successive powers that will come, four of them in number, be followed by the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of those four, he will destroy them, set up his kingdom, and after the rise of an Antichrist, Daniel chapter 7, after the rise of the king of the north, Daniel chapter 8, and their defeat, that's when he will come and set up a kingdom which will never pass away. It'll be, as I said again and again and again, a kingdom of power and glory and no suffering. And so over and over and over again, God is saying to His people through apocalyptic writing, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. I know you're experiencing a theological shock right now 
where you are. You didn't expect it to be like it is. But be faithful to the end. Because the suffering that you're going through right now is only temporary. Live for that kingdom to come. Don't live for this kingdom, this earth. Be faithful to the Lord and make an impact upon your generation before He comes. Would you stand? Father God, we come before You right now. We thank You, Lord, for Your awesome Word tonight. We understand at times, God, our faith will be tested. Let us be as the examples that's been given us in Your Word tonight to be faithful to You. As the pressure comes, Lord, to abandon our true worship of You, let us be faithful, God, always to You and our worship and our service. Give, us, give this church the strength that it needs to serve You to the end. I pray, God, for myself as well tonight, Lord, that You'll give me the strength that I need, the clarity of mind, the vision, to understand the time of the end. Help us to be people of prayer as Daniel was. And as Daniel in chapter 9 will begin to pray again. At that time, God, You are the revealer. You are the God who reveals all things. You're the God who's in control, in charge of all history, bringing it to an end. Help us, Lord Jesus, to prepare. For as we are here today in this church, we look into history and we see Babylon has come and gone. We see Medo-Persia has come and gone. We see Greece has come and gone. We see Rome has come and gone. We see now, Lord, a Europe is trying to come together, a reformed Roman Empire. Let us prepare for the time of the end and be ready when you establish your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.